Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to, and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and this is a place where we talk to emergency management professionals and learn from them so that we can make a positive impact on the safety of our community. Today's guest is Deputy Chief Officer David Baker from the Victoria State Emergency Service, better known to most people as Vic SES. During the show, David explains the development of the State Emergency Service Operational Capability Strategy and what the We Work As One mantra means to his organisation. David Baker, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Thanks, Stuart. Pleasure to be here. Now, great to catch up with you. I think we've known each other now for at least 20 years. Yeah, it's getting on that long. A few grey hairs and a few years uh, between. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Dave, when did you realise that a career in the emergency services was for you? Yeah, thanks, Stu. I think it's been a, a bit of a personal uh, discovery for me around uh, seeking a career in emergency management. And I suppose I can really date it back to being involved in a car accident in the late 80s as a young bloke. Um, and we we're in the middle of nowhere in a really bad state. And um, a couple of minutes later, we heard a truck coming and that truck happened to be the Jembrook tanker out on a uh, Sunday maintenance drive. Um, with two crew and they looked after us, got the ambulance called, got us off to hospital. And I remember getting home and I said, Dad, I didn't realise these guys were volunteers. And had they not turned up, we would have been in a bad way. I lived around Springvale at the time and um, found out uh, this service called SES, decided to join it as a volunteer and um, served for a number of years with SES, starting with the Springvale unit. In time, uh, I was working at the time with, uh, with a council and doing fire prevention work with them. So that led me to join Berwick Fire Brigade and uh, understand a little bit more about this thing called fire beyond just simply being a fire prevention officer. Enjoyed my time with Berwick, continue to enjoy my time with SES. And then uh, about 2006, a golden opportunity arose for me to join CFA on staff as a community safety manager for what was the old Western Port area, District 8. Um, And I had a thoroughly fantastic time as an MCS, great region, had great bosses, great teams, um, and we did some fantastic stuff. Uh, Through that time, I got to enjoy a bit of a stint as a general manager for District 8, and then eventually was asked to become a regional director in 2010 out in, um, uh, we'll call it District 13, the old Eastern Metropolitan Region. So um, that's really, that really whet my appetite, uh, being with CFA and doing just, look, CFA, the world's your oyster. And I absolutely loved my 10 years with CFA. Time came to move on and uh, I found myself in 2016 here as a Deputy Chief Officer at SES. So Back to where I started at SES. Life's gone full circle. Gone full circle. And I look back and I've had great opportunities. Absolutely loved it. And so what sort of emergencies does Vic SES uh, attend? Yeah, thanks. Look, we're the control agency, excuse me, for a number of different emergencies. So landslide, tsunami, flood, storm, earthquake. They're the ones that we're the control agency for under our emergency management arrangements in Victoria. Plus, we're also one of the suite of road crash rescue providers in our state. So we provide road crash rescue services as principal providers across 103 of our 142 field units. And we also are embarking on road crash rescue support 
services out of 20 of our units across the state. So last year, for instance, we did about 1,400 responses to road crash rescue uh, and a very active provider across the state, along with our other partner agencies, including MFB, CFA, and also the two independents up in the north. In this We Work as One space in Victoria, our agency also provides support services to Victoria Police in search and rescue, both marine, alpine and general wilderness land search and rescue. <clears throat> we also provide fire support, <coughs> excuse me, Stu, yeah, that's all right. fire support duties for um, CFA and FFMV and uh, MFB with our uh, MCVs and our FAVs or staging area base camp services. Also provide incident management team resources. So a lot of our people are now in the We Work as One space going to fire IMTs and supporting the fire controllers and the fire ops officers in providing services in planning, logistics, public information and the like. And also a lot of work with VicPol in um, crime scene support and uh, support to AV in patient handling and getting people out of wilderness. So when you say crime scene support, what sort of things would the SES do there? Yeah, so providing lighting support or Mm -hmm. crime scene protection or um, crime scene searching. So Mm -hmm. police might want to uh, locate particular evidence and we'll provide line search uh, capability for them. Mm -hmm. So it gives them a a big force multiplier effect Mm -hmm. to have a lot of orange overalls out there searching for evidence. And our people are trained to understand how to protect evidence and do it properly so that it supports the uh, police case. Mm. And Dave, you're the Deputy Chief Officer now with the SES. What is your role day to day? Okay, so my day to day peacetime role, uh, I get what's called the capability portfolio. Uh, And that generally includes our road rescue capability assessment program. So we assess all of our accredited road crash rescue units every three years from A to Z of their readiness and response Mm -hmm. to make sure they stay at the leading edge. So we run that program across the state. We, uh, my team's also responsible for our Vic SES incident management team development, both with volunteers and staff, so that we can continue to keep our people built at level two and level three development. Uh, I'm also responsible for the operational sign-off on behalf of the chief for our trucks, trailers, boats, all the kit and the gear we use that our people wear or use to go out and deliver their services. I'm part of that governance around the sign-off that it meets our what we call fit-for-purpose requirements. Mm-hmm. So when we look at anything in Vic SES now capability-wise, it's got to meet three particular outcomes, fit-for-purpose, safe-for-use, and best value. So we do that in partnership with Work Health Safety Team and the Assets Team, but I'm responsible for that fit-for-purpose sign-off on behalf of the Chief. And um, also of late, big exciting stuff for me is being involved in our new build program for the future uh, uh, local headquarters. So, you know, uh, stations that our members work out of in the field, that's an exciting part. Good government investment. We're building five brand new stations over the next uh, year or two. And that's been really exciting to build a new standard design, which will drive the um, the local designs for our stations in the future okay. and other bits and pieces. And when we end up going operational, my operational role is either as a state agency commander or a state response controller in the multi-agency space and normally based at the state control centre. Dave, what do you love most about working with Vic SES? 
Well, like I say, I, I joined Vic SES uh, many years ago, 1987, um, and it's fair to say Vic SES in my, is in my blood. Mm-hmm. I've had a wonderful time at CFA, and, and as you know, once you've got the CFA bug in the system, it's, it's hard to get out. You don't Very want to get to it shake. out. It is, it is. And, and nor do you want to shake it. It's, uh, it was fantastic. So there's still that CFA that, that, that breathes inside of me, but I am an, an SES man, um, and I love being part of this agency for a number of reasons. We're 40 years young. Um, that that youth gives us a lot of agility mm. and a lot of thinking outside the box around how we do things. Um, so that that youth is very much something on our side. And we've had we've been blooded on a number of occasions over that 40 years. So it's not as if we we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get better every day, but because of that youth, we, we're happy to continuously improve and look at things differently. For me, we also have a set of values that we recently introduced that I'm 100% behind. The values were organically developed in our organisation, the values you can believe in, and the values that I sign on for. So that drives me on a daily basis to continue to be part of this service that believes in those sort of values. Can I ask you how you did develop those values? Because a lot of organisations <coughs> go through these you know, values exercises, but how did SES approach it? Uh, it's funny you say that um, the senior managers have been embarking out on a program of going out to our units in the field to deliver these sessions. That's part of our skin in the game mm-hmm. going out. So last week, for instance, I visited Warrigal Unit and Orbost Unit and had a wonderful time in those units talking about the values. Um, what I like about how SES has done our values is it was organic. It wasn't consultant top-driven. We went out to our mm-hmm. stakeholders, to our members, and said, what drives you to be part of this thing called Vic SES? We wanted values that people could own, believe in, and internalise. So we went through that process, and it was bottom-driven. Then it went to the executive management team, and we finessed that and said, well, how would we word that? What do we mean by by these values? What do we mean by safety drives our decisions? What do we mean further to together we are Vic SES. And what does being agile and focused actually mean? So we did all that topping and tailing, sent that through to a reference group of volunteers and staff just to check, double check and triple check we're on the mark. Then we agreed these are the values. They went up to the board, bang, these are going to drive us. Now we've embarked on a program of going out into the field, shaking hands with our members and walking them through what these values mean. And have you noticed the value of having developed them from the bottom up? Are they much more accepted out there in the field? Absolutely. Every single value session I've been to, I overwhelmingly see nodding heads Mm -hmm. rather than shaking heads. Mm -hmm. And that's a big signal to me that our members get it, they believe it, and they can own it. So, Dave, I guess you you travel around the state and you see a lot about, uh, you'll see a lot of SES. What do you think is one thing that people don't realise about the SES? Yeah, I suppose... Not many people realise that our 142 field-based local units are all volunteer-driven. All of our field service delivery, whether it's somebody cutting up a tree at 10 o'clock at night after a storm, filling sandbags or building levees because of a flood coming, or at 2 o'clock in the morning heading out to a road crash rescue or any other the number of jobs we do, all of them are done in the field by volunteers not paid a cent to do that. 5,000 volunteers out of 142 local units that go out there to keep their communities safe. 
And I think that's that's a difference between us and perhaps some other service delivery models. Mm-hmm. And I think when we think about it in that context that communities are being served by fellow community members for not a dime, not a cent, but simply because of that altruistic motivator of being part of something bigger and being part of doing something good for their community, that's a really strong model for us. And I don't think everybody realised that, that when the shed doors open and the truck heads out, it's your community members coming out to serve you in their time. And I think having those local people doing it not only creates an emergency service, but creates something more, a bit, a bit about community cohesion, showing yeah. people that, you know, it is the locals looking after locals and how valuable that is to, to building the strength in any community. You are absolutely spot on. You know, we call that that social capital and it keeps giving it, you know, it, it builds upon itself. So it's a wonderful model for us. We, um, yeah, we've explored other models, but I reckon we're pretty wedded to this current one and, and our volunteers are the people that put the rubber on the road and do the magic stuff out there. And Dave, what's the best thing that's happened to you since you've joined SES? Oh, look, um, I could probably uh, mention a whole heap of fun we used to have in the old days uh, when I was a volunteer and, and I did. I ha- I've had a, a fantastic volunteer career. But just recently, I think, as a DCO, um, I get the ability to to have a key influence on some of our policies and directions and our provision of things. And that's really important for me. I take that task seriously. I have a little saying outside of my office that if it's not focused on the field, it's not for real. Um, so I, I take that role seriously um, and want to make sure that I'm, I'm contributing properly and delivering well. And two areas that I think stand out for me where I've had the real greatest fun in the three last three years is, first of all, being commissioned to uh, develop our operational capability strategy in 2017. Absolutely wonderful journey. I look back on it fondly. And uh, in the last 12 to 18 months, being part of our uh, development of the new uh, local headquarters. We're working with a mob called ESIA, Emergency Services Infrastructure Authority, um, and we've got a great partnership with them. We're going to build some fantastic local headquarters. Uh, we've got stuff coming up at Broad Meadows, Wangaratta, Emerald, uh, Knox and Northcote. Uh, great facilities coming up. And it's been fantastic to take all of my learnings over 30 years and help design a station for the future. So I haven't heard of this this authority. Can you explain what they are and what they do? Yeah, yeah, another authority. Yeah. Um, uh, the minister decided, look, I'll, I'll say about two and a half years ago, um, that one of the things uh, the minister had observed is that our agencies had our own uh, different elements of uh, buildings and facilities and capital works teams that were building great stuff, but I wasn't necessarily satisfied we were doing it in necessarily a cohesive, synchronised way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Minister established the Emergency Services Infrastructure Authority and the longer term intent is that they would have a stronger role in uh, governing the development of infrastructure across the services. So across the whole spectrum of the agencies. Yep, yeah. And right. now I think it was only designed at the first for volunteer agencies. Yeah. Um, I stand to be corrected, but that's my recollection. But the beautiful thing for us at Vic SES, we were the first cabs off the rank. So we've had SES almost undivided attention. They're doing a bit of work with Life Saving Vic and some others, but you know, we're the big cab off the rank yeah. and they've been great to work with. So yeah, we're setting up the future model for how the agencies will do business in the future. Okay. Now, you mentioned the operational capability strategy. What is that and what is it trying to achieve? 
Yeah, th- thanks for asking, Stu, because um, it's it's a, a particularly important little project for me, one that I, I love, one of those labours of love that you get every now and then in your life. So when I first started, former Chief Officer White pulled me aside over uh, a cup of coffee and said, I need you to develop an ops capability strategy for us. And I said, great. So one coffee led to two coffees and we started sort of map out on a paper napkin mm-hmm. what this might look like. And I'll, I'll give Trevor, a lot of credit here. He, he was very consensual in his approach. He said, this is what I need. Now, now go out and make it for me. And that was that was his style as a chief officer. And it was a style that I enjoyed working with uh, immensely. Um, we had a family of strategies in Vic SES. So don't think we had, you know, little strategies or we had no direction. We had a lot of direction. But Trevor needed something focused on the operational element. Mm-hmm. So we sat down and decided, well, how are we going to do this? We had learnt a lot since 2009 around how we could do things better as multi-agencies. You'll recall former Commissioner, Emergency Management Commissioner Lapsley had a very strong vision and drive around the we work as one space and his word that he'd coined was the interoperability side of things. So we had a lot of drivers in this multi-agency space and at Vic SES to say, how are we going to shape how we look operationally into the next 40 years of our service. And there's three things that we were keen to be able to look back in posterity and for others to be able to judge that we'd created quite simply agile, sustainable and effective capability for this service. Because we understood, we look back the last 10 years, significant change in the sector. What that said is that the next 10 years are going to be exciting change for the sector. So let's not map too much that we're going to build a particular widget to deliver this when the world might change for us. So we had a strong long-term focus on agile, sustainable and effective. Um, and we were bearing in mind the EM uh, capability blueprint of 2015 to 2025, which charted where the commissioner expected the agencies to be working together and synchronised. That's good to have three long-term aims, but, yeah, what does it mean to our members? Because we've got to do stuff in the next five years or it's just words on paper that sit on a shelf, and I absolutely uh, would have found it abhorrent just to end up with something sitting on a desk uh, gathering dust. So we developed five strategic themes to guide our development over the next five years. Local solutions for local problems, so blending state consistency Mm -hmm. with local application, not just same old, same old, and everybody gets what they get, don't get upset. What do we need to blend into that local environment to deliver? Interoperable service delivery. We're not in this game alone. So let's build either common or compatible equipment and capability so that when we work with MFB, when we work with AV or CFA, that it's fully interoperable. It's either common yeah. or it's compatible. Why do we have to need? Why do we need different generators? Yeah. Why do we need different fittings? You know, different radios. The, spot things. on, spot yeah. on. Rescue trucks. Why mm. can't they be a little more alike? Um, and not excluding our systems of work and our approaches. So it's not just about the kit. Mm-hmm. Not just about things that float or roll. It's about how we approach our work. Um, the other thing too was member career focus, reinforcing that our 5,000 members and our staff um, need to, to feel rewarded and need to feel excited about being part of this thing called Vic SS and be able to chart within reason their own career. 
So let's have a focus on that and build up capability. No delineation now in our service between a staff or volunteer. You are a member of Vic SES when it comes to driving a career. The other thing too is capability mindset. Don't just grab something shiny because it looks shiny today. Why are we getting it? How are we going to use it? Where are we going to use it? What's it going to look like? And importantly, what are we going to do with it in five or 10 years' time? So applying a longer-term mindset. And finally, flexible structures, both physical and human-based, so that we can do good things without being constrained by by regulations or structures that just don't suit how we need to do our business. And so, Dave, in, in developing this capability strategy, how have you gone out and engaged your local members in this process? Yeah, and that was another important thing. And uh, I, again, yeah, I, I said to Trevor, uh, I can develop this in a couple of months if you want. It'll be a top-driven strategy. Um, we can pull together some stuff. We may we may plagiarise from others because that's not a dirty word. Um, and we can get it signed off and deliver it out there and in one of those define, uh, sorry, uh, design and defend environments. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor wasn't a fan of that idea at all. So I said, let's try the ground up approach, similar to our values. Mm-hmm. Um, and to start things off, I developed a discussion paper that Trevor was happy to release. And that was deliberately designed to evoke thinking amongst our members, challenge some thinking. Now, we put things in there, for instance, such as should we look at uh, units that have a mix of career, uh, sorry, paid and volunteer members in some of our stretched areas? So we put it out there um, to the market and put it out there to our members. So we, we, we said a lot of things because we deliberately wanted to evoke thinking and get people out of the comfort zone. One thing I saw you, now I think it was that original <coughs> paper, you said we, SES needs to be careful not to be all things to, to all people. Or something like that. I think you're Jeez, right. You, you you have read the paper. <laughs> well, it, it just strikes me that so often people people do make the mistake. Can I say that of trying to be all things to all people in emergency management? Yeah, and, and, and so I was really intrigued. You actually did, deliberately wrote that in that paper. Yeah, and and thanks, Stu. That that's mm. that's that that's another example of getting people out of the comfort zone because mm. we're forty years young and we felt we just inherited things because there were gaps in other people's service delivery. And we really hadn't taken stock and said, why are we doing that? Are we doing this consciously because we want to be in this game and it suits our niche or our, our capability thinking? Or did we just inherit it because no one else was doing it? Mm-hmm. A classic one for us used to be uh, supplying lighting support at, um, at drink drive um, blitzes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, police would properly set up a drink drive blitz and work in with the sheriff's office and a whole heap of other people, and we'd provide the lighting. Um, but then we had to question ourselves, is that our game if it's not an emergency? Is that an effective use of our capability? So it, it did. It begged us to say why we're in this game, mm-hmm. not just being, you know, something for everyone. So thank you for that, Stu. Um, we, we issued that paper in February 2017. We then followed it up with 13 regional visits. So I went out there with our capability support officer that we hired and we met with about 300 of our members on their turf and had a good long chat over Boston buns and sandwiches around what does this mean? Have we hit the mark? Have we resonated well or have we missed the mark? And we got some very honest feedback and that was great. We then developed a draft 
and we tested it with a reference group of 18 of our members, staff and volunteer, across different directorates and regions, and they were the people that had written to us and said, oh, I think you're right, or oh, I think you're wrong, or hang on, here's a five-page dissertation on how I think yeah. it should look. So we said, well, there we go. As value, you come in and be part of our, our jury or reference group. Uh, we then released a final in December 2017 and formally launched our OCS in March of 2018. We followed that up with regional socialisation sessions. Sounds like something from North Korea, but, you know, it's basically going out there and saying to people, this is your strategy and this is what it's going to mean to our service. And we ran about seven of those sessions with our members in April, May of 18, and we've issued posters and all that sort of stuff. The rubber on the ground was, yeah, that's a strategy. It's nice words on paper, but what are the actions? What are the demonstrables and the deliverables? deliverables we're going to do. So we had 13 actions against the five themes I talked about, and we developed about 40 or 50 individual drilled down actions out of that. But again, it wasn't Dave and a couple of people at a star chamber working this out. We had two workshop sessions with about 90 of our senior members after controllers conferences, uh, independently facilitated by Deb Simons, and they helped us develop what those actions would look like. So we're now in a process of uh, uh, formally releasing those actions. Now comes the measurables and evaluation over the next four years. We work as one has become a mantra really for emergency services in Victoria. What do you think this now looks like for the capability of VicSES and its members? Yeah, thanks, Jude. Look, I grew up in an era of what I call demarcation amongst the agencies in, in Victoria. We're all doing great stuff, um, but we're doing it in silos of excellence or cylinders of excellence. Um, and very rarely were we working in any synchronized way. To move across that demarcation in Victoria, we needed a couple of, I would call, defining moments to tell us we could do things differently. So for us, there was the 2009 fires and the 2010-11 floods, which affected the fire services and Vic SES in such profound ways we needed to do something differently. So we moved towards this concept of the we work as one. Um, and it was an ethos that drove us. All hazards, all uh, all services or all communities, all emergencies, we work as one, focus on consequences rather than simply the command and control old ways of doing things. Uh, it wasn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but it was saying we can do things better if we do it together. Um, so it was a very bold ethos developed by our former commissioner, but I've got to say it was one that Vic SCS subscribed to very early on. And we realised the 10-11 floods for us was a great realisation that it would soon exceed our capacity to deal with a level three campaign event over a period of time. Um, so for us, what does it mean? It means that we will fully participate with other agencies in interoperable capability. We'll give to our abilities and we ask to be able to take to our needs. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that for us in a we work as one space. When we build stuff, when we develop systems, we now say, what are other agencies doing? So we're not building it in isolation. We're saying, this is what we're thinking. Uh, how do you think it needs to look? Yeah, we recently had some lads down at Danong Fire Station um, talking to some of your RCR people about how we can continue to get even better at doing things together and doing it in a similar fashion. Um, 
So for us, you know, it, it really is, we work as one is really about us giving to our needs, abilities taken to our needs. Um, it's about making sure that when we're either working at an instant level or at a regional level or at a state level, it doesn't matter whether you're in orange or yellow or green, you come with a set of transferable skills and we work together to try and achieve an agreed outcome, which is based on the state control priorities and community consequences. And again, for us, I, I think we put this quite simply. It's an old saying, I forget which philosopher said it, but it's so true in the we work as one space. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And I think that nails it for us and where we're going. I've travelled across the uh, Commonwealth, uh, checking out other agencies and, and the way they do business. And I'm pretty satisfied Victoria's learning from our bitter experiences. Uh, if we continue on the right trajectory, we work as one, will serve us and our communities much better than the ways we used to do business in the past. How do you think that applies to before, during and after emergencies and the investments that emergency management agencies make in this space? Um, I'm glad you mentioned the before, during and after. That was that missing third part of the ethos from former Commissioner Lapsley, just to remind us of the continuum of our emergency management response. Um, and I've got some views based on the fact that I've spent time in a number of the different elements of the before, during and after. I was in the community safety area for a long time, worked at the municipal level, and now I'm very much in that response readiness side of the business back at SES. Um, and for me, I still have a very strong belief that we need to balance our investment across the elements of readiness and preparedness, prevention, and the response side of the business. I'll tell you why. The UN proved conclusively uh, about five, seven years ago that every one dollar that is invested in preparedness and prevention will save seven to ten dollars in response and recovery. So look at it economically. The economic argument exists. It's, it's an infallible argument. So what does that mean to us? Well, in the public health area, They've learnt for the last decade or two the notion of investment in upstream uh, uh, efforts a vastly outweighs and a better return on investment than downstream efforts. So the investment in keeping a community healthy from the start means less investment downstream with more hospitals and primary, secondary and tertiary uh, public health. I don't think we're there yet in the emergency management sector. I think some... Uh, of the of, of our people in that before, during and after space and enlightened to it. But I still see a chasm between some of the elements in appreciating the savings we can make, the better investment we can make if we throw a few more dollars in that before uh, side of the business. And I'll give you some, um, some examples. You know, do I necessarily want to know that I'll have a police car at my house within eight minutes if there's a burglar in it? Or do I want an investment in good crime prevention programs so the burglar doesn't want to be in my neighbourhood in the first place? Um, and I've invested in uh, passive and active security systems that they don't want to target my house. Uh, equally, do I want uh, an SES crew outside the front of my house madly filling up sandbags and preventing rising floodwaters from getting into my house? 
I don't want the council and the catchment management authorities to invest it in good flood mitigation efforts so that the flood doesn't impact those low-lying areas, which includes my house. And finally, you know, do I want to know that I'm going to have a fire truck on my doorstep within eight minutes of me ringing triple O and some hardworking fireys getting out trying to save my kids who are still in the bedroom while the house is alight? Or do I want this scenario, that either the crew's turning up to simply mop up because my house has had passive and active fire prevention and suppression systems, including alarms and sprinklers, so that we could actively get out of the house whilst the sprinklers are doing their job, um, and our family are all together safely at the letterbox waiting for the IC to get out of the truck and say, is everyone accounted for? Great. We now just have to go into the other parts of that recchio environment. Um, so I sit there and I go, what are we going to invest in? More and more big red trucks or big white trucks or vehicles with the red and blue lights to provide that downstream response? Or are we going to invest those extra dollars in the upstream, knowing that sometimes we'll never be able to see the return on investment until the emergency actually happens. Mm. And that's a big thing. Investment in prevention and uh, preparedness is an investment in faith. Mm. A bloke called Kofi Annan, former Secretary General of UN, once said, the difficulty of investment in that space, you often can't measure that which doesn't occur. So it is an investment in faith, um, but we know conclusively it's a sound investment. We still need response forces. We still need response capability because stuff happens. Mm. Uh, there are still crooks in the world and we're still beset by emergencies and disasters. Um, but I think we can actively spend a bit more dollar in that before side of the business. And I think with the data set now available in many emergencies and, and all the data around this, perhaps it's, it's, it's probably easier now than ever before to justify investment in the prevention space. And I was talking to uh, Brian Keenan from the American Red Cross this time last year, and he talked about how they are starting to join up a lot of this data now to be able to put it into the field and show where to put their resources to better manage emergencies. So I, th I think, you know, now and into the future, we probably can make a better investment in prevention than ever before. Mate, you've absolutely hit the mark, you know, with, with the data we have now, with the brains trust we have across the sector with partners from universities and the like, I, I reckon we can smash that equation. You know, you look at uh, mobs like Monash University Accident Research Centre and other partners in this space. About a decade ago, we managed to unpick the road safety formula, you know, with education, engineering and enforcement. And we actually understood the levers. And the money that we'd invest in this lever would have a direct impact in the reduction of the road toll here. And we saw that. Mm. So if we could do it for the road safety trauma, sure as hell, we can do it for the emergency management space. Absolutely. And Dave, now in relation to emergency management, what's the best piece of advice you've been given thus far in your career? Two bits of advice, if I can. Mm -hmm. uh, one was Mark Crossweller, who said to imagine the unimaginable. And I think at every level, if you're in charge of or responding to an event or dealing and managing an event, imagine the unimaginable. That gives you a reference point of worst case scenario. That then guides you to say, well, how am I going to control that within my abilities, not be caught out because it does then exceed our capability 
and we've thought, oh, oh, hang on, we only expected it to be this type of a level of incident. Always imagine what it could be, worst case scenario, um, and prepare your capability to do that. So that was one bit of advice to me was uh, was really important, especially at that SAC SRC level, about not just saying, no, nah, uh, what we've got's good enough for this event. Now, Dave, for our listeners, the, the SAC stands for? And state the- Agency Commander, SRC is State Response Controller. Thanks, Stuart. Thank good you. QA. That's one of That's the challenges. quality assurance, Absolutely. Stuart. Absolutely. It's one of the challenges doing a, a, a podcast about emergency management is that there are so many acronyms that we all throw around and we just have to be slightly careful that everyone understands what we're talking about. Thanks. Yeah. And it's interesting because we both work for organisations that are acronyms in themselves. Mm. So, um, yeah. Good reminder. Thanks, Stu. The other piece of advice that I heard uh, at uh, AIPM, that's the Australian Institute of Police Management up at Manly some years back, we're really privileged to have a visit from Richard de Crespi, who was the captain of QF-32, the aircraft that flew out of Singapore and lost an engine and uh, started having various systems failures happening on an Airbus. Um, Crew of five, uh, the best heads you could have from Qantas's flight crew sitting on that flight deck. Um, and they had things going wrong on a massive way. You know, the, the whole aircraft was run by computer. Everything was run by computer. It would tell you what the problems were, how to diagnose it and what to do to resolve it. But what they found is the, it, like some sort of hydra animal, uh, the minute they solved three problems, another nine came up to the point where the captain turned around and said, we were becoming so focused on what the computer was telling us to do, we forgot we were aviators. So he turned around and said, stop, let's invert the thinking. What's actually going right here? Mm -hmm. And he said what they discovered very quickly was they had control of the aircraft. They were still in the air. There's a plus. There was a plus. Um, And they realised they had at least... Uh, semblance of um, uh, controls that resembled a Cessna 172. So they could turn, they could lower, they could rise, they could, yet they had propulsion. So that was good. What he found is that inverted the thinking to a positive thinking. And he said, in a crisis situation, we can often just go straight to the negatives, which will take us down a negative pathway. He found once he inverted that thinking, the crew stopped looking at what was wrong. They looked at what was right, strengthened what was right, then started working on solving on a triage basis the things that were wrong. He said that got us back on the ground safely. So for me, two bits of advice that I think in my role are really important when the chips are down. David Baker, thank you very much for joining us today on the Emergency Management Podcast. It's been great to catch up with you and it's uh, it's been a joy to know you for the last 20 years. So thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you for joining us on the show this week. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.